As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! The cruel online language of the nutmeg. The one in a million moment of touching a match ball in the stands. The unique texture of a pre-match cheeseburger. The official hierarchy of the most annoying types of unsuccessful corner taking. Immobile quadragenarian goalkeepers. And biased co-commentators. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 103 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me yet again is Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? I'm good, how are you? No, not too bad. Um, A little bit on edge actually because I had an email from listener P. Drury. Mm. this week regarding our chat about re-recorded commentary the other day. Oh, wow. He says, I thought you and your guests would be interested to know that my version of the 1998 Dennis Bergkamp goal versus Argentina was absolutely authentic, live, in the moment and at the stadium. I was there a few seats away from Barry Davis on a beautiful day in Marseille. The BBC had the game live. My version was on the ITV highlights later that day. I am mortified. That's, I mean... That's me at the end. That's, uh... That's great that he's, uh... That he's listening for a start. I'm just really, I'm just really pleased about that. To be honest, the yes. uh, the rest, of, the rest of the stuff, I um, I'll, I'll get over that we got that wrong. Apologies, no, I, though, Peter. That's that's uh, that's uh, poor on our part. It is poor. I am truly ashamed. Uh, he took it in incredibly good humour. Um, but I'd like to state my public and sincere apologies. Please don't stop binge listening to football cliches, Drury. <laughs> um, but yeah, glad to smooth that one over. But um, today it's all about our guest for Mesut Harland Dix. He's an actor, narrator, and the man whose voice alone 
has sold 14,961 Dasha Sanderos in the month of August 2021, according to data from 26 European markets collected by Jato Dynamics and former The Office ace, it's Ralph Ineson. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very impressed with that uh, Dasha stat. I do my research, as has been sort of established on this podcast so far. Um, (laughs) It got me thinking, I'm so obsessed with Dasha Sanderos now, thanks to your voice, that all I can think about at this stage is, if Dasha Sandero was a footballer, what would he be like? I mean, it's a very footballery kind of name. Oh, I remember recently um, Leeds were in for Rodrigo de Paul from Mm. Udinese for ages, and there was all sorts of weird um, social media stuff about it. And he was, Udinese was playing with uh, a Dacha emblazoned shirt. And so I don't know if that kind of stuck in my mind, but I, I think I might really be doing the very fine footballer of Rodrigo Gordobol a slight disservice if I, I <laughs> really? that just stand there. Or, you, know. you can't say that. Well, you know, I, I think, yeah, you know, they're, a, they're a, a solid buy and good value, but I don't think they're quite, uh, quite international Juventus level. Charlie, I, um, I can absolutely imagine, I don't know, Rob Hawthorne exclaiming <laughs> that, those two words as a shot whistles just over the bar as Watford make a bright start at home to Southampton. It's pulled back in. Dasha Sandero! Oh! Dasha Sandero, a, a winger. A kind mm. of... Um, dan- doesn't really ever score or assist, but kind of looks vaguely dangerous. Yeah. Um, it, as you down. say, enough to earn that move to Watford. Yeah, socks definitely down, that's for sure. Um, yeah, that would have been that would have been worlds colliding for you there, Ralph. But, um, I mean, you you go very Leeds, let's, let's face it. Um Am I right in saying you have a dog called Grayson? I have three dogs, yes. Grayson was named after, at the time I got him, was, was the last um, last manager to get us promoted. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it also suited him because he's a great Dane. It kind of, the name worked. I've also got a uh, a female great Dane called Rini, named after Paul Rini. Oh, okay. And uh, my French bulldog is called the Don, after Don Revy. Yeah, we're covering all the decades here. This is great. Okay. Um, and I've also had uh, I've also had uh, Labradors named after Eddie Gray and Billy Bremner. Yes, there's a, there's a theme somewhere. How okay. close is Bielsa to reaching that pantheon? <laughs> yeah, you see, what, what does he have to do? Uh, <laughs> for my uh, 50th birthday, my wife bought me a statue of a great Dane, and that is called Marcelo. I don't ever want to lose myself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if he keeps his win percentage over Simon Grayson's 49.7, <laughs> he's in with the chance. Uh, let's hope so. Um, but I'll keep my eye on that one. Um, I mean, of course, you did the audiobook for Phil Hayes' Bielsa opus, and it was beautiful. Yeah. That can't have been an unenjoyable voice gig for you. No, it was one of those, yeah, like, really? I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really good book as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And now you're a Mesut Harland Dix. Yes. Astonishing. My God. So yes, Mesut Harland Dix indeed. Let's get rolling. Um, Ralph, tell us about your first love of football. So the first one um, is nutmegs. Just such a simple part of the game, but there's so much humour and cruelty and beauty in it. I've been very spoiled as a Leeds fan over the last few seasons, having Pablo Hernandez in the championship was just you know averaging three or four nutmegs every game it was just <laughs> hilarious it was wonderful to watch and now obviously we've got uh, Rafinha who's not making people for fun as well so yeah just a, a simple pleasure that I just love I mean this is a, this is obviously quite a universal joy for football fans but I, I feel like it's more of a it's more of a kind of televisual thing Charlie I think I feel like 
TV does a really good job at, at ramming home the effect of a nutmeg. I mean, I think in person, people perhaps in, in the stadium, perhaps in the flesh, you don't kind of appreciate it as much. That maybe because they're missed, aren't they? Sometimes. Whereas, I mean, there was the whole soccer AM nuts and Megs. Hmm. I want to say campaign. That's maybe overstating it, but I feel like they uh, they really went to town on on nutmegs. And I remember at my school, and I don't know how universal this is as a game, was nutmeg rush, where right. you just had everyone on the pitch and you just tried to nutmeg each other. And if you got nutmegged, you got beats from everyone else, basically. And it was uh, very enjoyable. It was certainly more violent celebration of the nutmeg but nonetheless sort of testament to its enduring popularity yeah unnecessary layer of pain there but ralph i guess the the core appeal of this is that it's it's equally distributed between the player who performs the nutmeg and the victim of the nutmeg itself absolutely so so much to play with yeah i mean i think i'd slightly disagree with the the televisuals i mean they do they do do a great job by actually getting the reaction of the player who's just been done and all of that Mm. which which does it but what you don't really get is the the laughter of of the home crowd when the home playing not my play just that's that's what I love about it the fact that everybody finds it hilarious it's a real happy cheer it's not an angry like, it's not like a you know a 50-50 you know when you're going for 50-50 challenge or something that's a very different mm-hmm. kind of cheer but a, yeah a cheer for a nutmeg that that wee is, is, is a joyous thing. To pick up on that point you just made about um, the sight of a player who's just been done by a nutmeg. Now, again, not very podcast friendly, this, Charlie, but there is a very specific body language mm-hmm. of a player who's just been nutmeg. It's kind of, they stand up really straight. Yeah, I, I think the, the head goes back in a kind of, <laughs> oh. It's just a like... universal symbol for, I, there's nothing I could have done about that. <laughs> There's a great one of Lamella. I think it's on Andros Townsend, and Danny Rose is in the background, just like cannot believe what's happened as Townsend kind of lollops his head back and just like, oh, this is so humiliating. I do kind of feel that the English obsession with nutmegs, in particular, has been quite a latter day thing, Ralph. And 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 what's come with it in certainly in the last few years is a really kind of bizarrely cruel sub-language that has developed mainly via Twitter. Uh, and thanks to Ollie Quinn Palmer for, for giving us a handy list of things that, that kind of signify this. Exclamations like, that defender has a family! <laughs> Stop it, he's already dead. These kind of <laughs> There's an element of tweeness about it, Charlie. Yeah, that has, that, <laughs> that has very much taken... I mean, the whole thing, like, you've been owned or that internet word, PWNED, which can't really be said in real life. I mean, it's no, all... definitely not. <laughs> It's uh, it's all just it's very I guess it is um, it does lend itself to social media for, for for those little clips because there is that inherent humiliation um, and we it's it is just really funny when it happens to someone and there are some players I'm sure Ralph you've had it as well like if there are players that are particularly unpopular at ground for whatever reason them being nutmegged is just mm. about the sweetest thing that can happen yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of cruelty. That, uh, similar level, I remember uh, Leeds playing at Sellers Park years ago when Roland was playing for Sellers Park and he was running around like a nutter because he was getting absolute pelters from the Leeds fans, obviously. <laughs> so he was doing that kind of thing where he's just trying far mm. too hard and he, he, he cut his head open, <laughs> <laughs> which in itself is funny. Comes up, with a big, comes up with a big bandage which is very funny. And then it was topped by the fact that he took a ball to the head, which knocked the bandage off. Oh, by that oh, I point, remember this. By that point, the whole away end was just dead. It was just like, he can't get any better than that. But it's uh, similar, of kind of that, that kind of ritual humiliation side of the nutmeg was, was 
what reminded me of that. Well, it, I've just realised, of course, that it's kind of a snowball effect because um, the more angry that the potential nutmeggy gets... Yeah. And the harder he tries to stop being nutmegged, the actually the easier and more likely it is that he will be nutmegged because mm. he's just he's committing too much to it. So it's, <laughs> it really is a gift that increasingly keeps giving. Do you have a threshold, Ralph? Like, is there a point at which you because there are some there are some players who you do feel are looking for nutmegs, even if it's really getting them absolutely nowhere. Do you mind that as long as they if they get that moment of nutmeg them, or do you feel like it has to actually have a purpose or it doesn't really count? Oh, I think it's got to have a purpose. I mean, that purpose might be humiliation. You know, <laughs> as long as he's kind of thought about it, not just someone who's just like throwing out tricks just for the fun of it. But actually, if you think, right, I'm going to actually humiliate now, so you can't play for the rest of the game, that is <laughs> a positive um, version of a nutmeg. I would try. I think there's also that it also spreads to the great joy of a defender being tied up in knots to the point where it actually falls on his ass. <laughs> That again, is taking this to um, going back to Rafinha, who was playing earlier on in this international break. Mm. I think it was against Colombia. And he did this thing. He turned the defender in knots and actually did. He, he didn't even fall on his arse. He tried to turn and tied his legs in knots and fell over. It was yeah, just a, a thing of comic beauty. Well, it's, it's, it's always a great sight, Charlie, when, as we often say on this podcast, when elite-level footballers are made to look like rank amateurs and there is no finer example yeah. I mean that's like the, the messy um, it's Boateng isn't it yeah. In that, I always think of that one because that's like an absolutely elite defender as you're saying being made to look so amateurish that he can barely kind of he, he's so Bambi on ice that it, it it does just give you a sense of how amazing these attacking players must be um, for them to look that stupid these things can go too far though because, uh, Charlie, of course, you'll be fully familiar with the Copa Ibero-Americano of 1994. Um, mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Boca Juniors played Real Madrid. And uh, Robert Prozanetsky produced a pirouette so successful, so slick, that Boca Juniors defender Julio Saldana was ruled out for an entire year with ruptured knee ligaments. <laughs> oh, my um, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's I feel that like is... it's beyond the threshold for Ralph's enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bit, bit far even for me, I think. That often, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's footage of it, really, really, you know, reassuringly grainy footage from 1994, oh. and, it, and it looks just awful. It just looks it's <laughs> so devoid of dignity um, for the entire, entire passage. Um, that is one yeah. where you genuinely do feel for their family and, mm, and yes, all of that, yes. because... Poor, I mean, that's just so brutal. Actually, this is a good point. Maybe, so that defender has a family, actually does work in this one. Um, <laughs> Stop it, Prozanetsky, presumably does work. Let's, yeah. Don't do that again. You're hurting people. Yeah, maybe these maybe these Twitter lines do work. So yeah, uh, well, life Well, wasn't that, because didn't Neymar get booked when he was still playing in Brazil for like ungentlemanly conduct for just doing too many skills and making defenders look really, really stupid? Yeah, but I don't think a nutmeg could ever do that because I, you, you, I don't think you could, you, I don't think that would ever become kind of superfluous to a game because it's always actually it's quite a useful thing to do so I don't think you get ever get booked for a nutmeg I, I mean can, if that ever happened that would be sensational um, but speaking of life affirming Ralph tell us about your second love of, of football getting to touch the match ball uh, <laughs> at during, all during play and not, not like kind of before anything but when it comes into the crowd right yeah just uh, just a couple of times you know, it, whenever you see it if you just look at the joy on anybody's face whenever they're the one who gets to batter the ball back into play you know whatever age kind of person they are there is just a deep joy and feeling that today is a very special day has it ever happened to you it did uh i was i was at um 
at college in Lancaster. Mm. And so in times of no money, we used to go to what's Lancaster City. At the uh, a stadium was called the Giant Axe Stadium. Giant Axe. Giant Axe <laughs> Stadium. They were known as the Axe Men. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was a really terrible little stadium. But we had some. We had a lot of good fun. And one one game was against Farsley Celtic. Mm-hmm. And the ball comes flying. Um, missed the goal by a mile. I jumped up like a salmon above my friends and pulled out the perfect keeper from a corner punch. Punched the ball straight back into the hands of the keeper. It was waiting to take the goal kick. He gave me a nod, thumbs up, and a bit of a, bit of a respectful nod. And, yeah, I don't <laughs> think I've ever felt so cool in my life. I am. I am. My heart is swelling at this story, just for the entire scene of this. But I two red flags here, Charlie, that I feel like we need to address. First of all, Ralph elected to punch. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Didn't catch it. Punched it, which is incredibly continental. I mean, this was years before he became a you know a worldwide star. Getting ideas way above his station here, <laughs> setting that trend. Yeah, so like nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, I was. I've been watching far too much. Um, Serie Channel Four football at the time. <laughs> James Richardson and his, uh, his little thing. Did you not? Did you not fancy heading it either? Uh, no, I actually was. Well, uh, I identified as a keeper. I wasn't say I was, oh, a, okay. I was a keeper, but uh, that was the position I played. So it was a natural thing for me to do. Mm. You come across so centre halfy. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it has been said before. A rugged centre half. <laughs> if I was, if I was <laughs> casting any sort of film that involved a football team, you would be. <laughs> My number five. Yeah. Been around the block. <laughs> <laughs> I went to uh, about 2003 or four when I was still young enough to look like I could play football. I played in a pre-season kind of uh, celebs and legends against the the team, against Leeds United at Ellen Road on, on the mm. pitch. Oh, nice. <laughs> I never forget walking into the dressing room. And they all kind of turned around. All the, the rest of the team were excellent. But as I walked in, I was just thinking, oh, you poor bastards. <laughs> no idea how shit I am. But I kind of thought, yeah, I probably do actually look the part. Yeah, yeah that's fine. I can get how you would go, yeah, brilliant. I clean that. I'm really rubbish at football. Disappointment I was about to unleash on them was, uh, was quite poignant. This story, however, is, is rescued by this, the, the final twist. Of this, of this kind of brief interaction between you and an actual footballer, yeah. Um, I just, I just feel like in these situations and and other ones, you know, be it abuse or adoration, I don't think anybody is really prepared for a one-to-one interaction with a footballer because you know you have mass booing and and worse yeah. often, but you know a one-to-one interaction with a footballer, I don't think anyone is is really kind of prepared for that moment. No, no, especially elite level, elite level like Lancaster City versus Chelsea. With a celeb like that, yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, it was very Buffon-esque. Yes, oh, what a what a lovely way of describing it, um, Charlie. We asked our listeners for their experiences of touching the match ball in various contexts. Mike Bailey um, says, "I was photographing a game at Crooktown FC when the ball bounced over the perimeter wall onto the terrace. Camera in hand, I effortlessly flicked it back onto the pitch with my heel." A group of home fans started singing Sign Him Up. Excellent. Mm-hmm, nice. To date, my proudest achievement in life. <laughs> As a cameraman, that's and that's pretty impressive. I mean, already focusing on something else, quite literally. I, yeah, I, I have to say, 
I've been going to football probably like 25 years and I've never touched the match ball. And I, I kind of want it to stay that way. It's, it feels almost like the holy grail that it's like, <laughs> twice. will this ever happen? Twice. And Really? Twice? Yeah. Twice? But I remember when I went, started going to football, it was, it was such a big talking point. It was like, do you reckon you'll touch the ball? It's like, I don't know, but a friend of mine, he was like two rows away from touching the ball. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like winning the lottery. Twice. It's literally like winning the lottery. Yeah, it, you could be like that, one number away. Go on then, what were your two? Scared, uh, scared of what might happen after that. The rest exactly, yeah. of your life will be meaningless. That, exactly, that's the thing. It's just going to frazzle my brain too much. Like once you have that celebrity, it's, yeah. it's very I'd never, tough. I'd to never want to come close to heading it. I'd either want it never to happen to me, even slightly, or I, I'd want full contact. I, I don't. Want, <laughs> I don't want to be flirting with it. I really enjoy. I really enjoy this one. This is from Tom Wooders. Once had the ball kicked into the stands at the annex when I was right by the pitch. One bloke headed it towards me and I caught it to big cheers from everyone around me. I felt like a goalkeeper whose defender had just headed it back to him. That's, I mean, that's, that <laughs> takes some coordination. That's another layer, isn't it? Mm, Very impressed. Um, but these things do take a turn for the worse. Trail of debt says, I sat with my feet up at Boston when the ball came my way. Hands were in my pocket, so I stuck a foot out and accidentally diverted the ball into a face of a bloke nearby. He fell out of his seat moaning in pain, bloodied nose streaming, and had to be taken away by paramedics. Grimace emoji. Um, what's the etiquette there, Ralph? I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 not a, it's an assist rather than a direct assault, <laughs> isn't it? You know what I mean? It's not actually kick the bloke in the face, but um, yeah, hands in pockets, but you can still get your foot out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the implication there was that he just stayed in his seat and didn't go with the bloke. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. If you don't know him, I guess that would be even weirder. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just like the idea that he still sat there with his hands in his pockets whilst this bloke's bleeding to death. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlie, what would have got him out of his seat? Yeah, yeah. Charlie, what would you do in this scenario? The reality is it does depend on game state a little bit. Yeah, it depends how big a game it was. I'll, I'll be honest there. If it, if it was petering out or as a game my team was losing maybe I'd be more chivalrous but if I really wanted to stay it might be one where you have to say I'm, I'm really sorry it's happened but ultimately I'm not going to help you're with you're with the professionals now yeah best of luck good luck you. yeah best of luck yeah. <laughs> all the best for the season um Final one on this, and I don't want to get too Barry Davis about this but it's something nobody likes to see Damon Shaw we stole a ball from Manchester United versus Anderlecht in around 2000 I put it under my hoodie and walked out with it after the game um, I <laughs> Ralph, I'm, I'm not happy about this at all, but it does make me wonder. Every time the ball goes into the stand on telly, and I think, where is it? Is it going to come back? Where's that ball gone? Mm. Um, I mean, a, a match ball must be just the most disproportionately prized possession for someone. Yeah, I mean, to be able to get it out of the ground, I suppose it's got to be a pretty big crowd to be able to hide somebody with a... With They're a, not cheap. With a They're not cheap, ball. these balls. No, no. So, yeah, that was, that's pretty impressive stuff to uh, to get a match ball out of the ground. That would feel like a proper heist, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I bet they, they, I bet they were that. walking in groups with the guy in the middle. And, yeah. But, yeah. He couldn't have pulled that off on his own. There's going to be guys. <laughs> well, you need accomplices. Well, I think he's got guys distracted security. He's got, you know, guys asking questions. Just as People creating diversions. Yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's really worked on this. This whole. I reckon that's harder to do now. I feel like now everything's so strict and when Whenever a ball's there, it seems like there are ball boys and whoever really getting at you and stewards to mm. to chuck it back. Mm. What was the security like at Giant Axe in 1989? <laughs> um, I, I don't remember a lot of it, to be honest. Right. So, uh, <laughs> if I'd have wanted to, I could have taken it, but the rest of the crowd would, uh, you know, all of the rest of the 59 people would have just looked at me like I was inside. But... You could have been a proud owner of, uh, of a mitre. Yeah. 
Delta. It would have been the only match ball probably back then as well. So mm-hmm. literally the game would have been probably had Markipan on it as well. Fastly <laughs> Celtic FC yeah. on it. That would have been poor form. Your career would have been in ruins. Um, tell us about your third love of football. Enjoy this one. I just love a burger van cheeseburger on the way to a game. There's, it's the kind of thing that I just wouldn't put anywhere near my mouth or my stomach uh, in in 99% of the situation. <laughs> but there's just something about the excitement of going to the game, having a few pints of fizzy lager before and on the way to the game, just it just turns that that weird, weird kind of sweaty almost uh, <laughs> burger thing. It's yeah, of undeterminate meat as well. I've got no idea what the meat is. The cheese is, is properly rubbery and, mm. and it's never well, it's a long way from a cow. Uh, and so, yeah, just it just it just turns into the food of the gods in that particular situation. So, yeah. Uh, before we examine this in a particularly footballing context, um, the way you've described it, it makes me realise that there is no, there's no, it's a very specific form of hunger, mm. the kind of two or three pint hunger mm-hmm. when you're on the way to something. It's the cousin of a late night kebab, that uh, pre-game mm. cheeseburger. When you've you've, you've had uh, you've had a few drinks and you're just you're so so hungry, and I, that cheeseburger is incredible you're describing the onions for me elevate it as well yeah. that smell of onions as they kind of waft towards you and you're right it is it is legitimized by the fact that it's before a football game mm. and you're right if you if you ate that and it's like a kebab you know if you ate that or a kebab for a lunch you know as a, yeah. of a tuesday afternoon you'd be like what am i doing with my life the yeah. fundamental totally difference. legit there the fundamental difference between a kebab ralph and the burger of which you speak is that the thing about these burgers on the way is that they're, they're almost less than zero texture. It, you're, yeah. you, you just go straight through it. Yeah, there is absolutely. nothing there. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of onion, oniony, salty cotton wool that just kind of goes <laughs> yeah. in and yeah, just absorbs some of the lava you just took down as well. It got me thinking about the kind of the evolution of of match day food. Um, burgers and pies will, of course, you know, you know, beyond cliche, perhaps. Mm. And then Charlie, of course, we got into popcorn and 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 filled nachos, which is you mm. know very troublesome. Games gone territory. And of course, last month we had the highly controversial man with whole homemade Victoria sponge at Craven Cottage, which yeah, <laughs> which was so far from the mushy burger. It. It's possible to get, I think. The carrot battens. I mean, the evolution has been has been huge. There's definitely a long read in this. Yeah. The evolution of football food, and and also the yeah the resistance to change, I guess, because there are a lot of people who would think that those are sacrosanct. Mm. And I wonder actually how much their sales have been hit. I feel like it's such a loyal market. It is such a staple, certainly for people who've been going to football for enough of a time. Maybe not for, oh, it must it's be hard an, to attract new, new, new audiences. It must maybe. be the most solid habit of all. Like you, yeah. you, you would have the same burger every and there's And then you add superstition to it as well. Mm-hmm. And then it would just become, yeah. And that's how, that's what sustains this tiny industry, I think. It's just mm. people just having to do the same thing before a game. <laughs> um, but burgers, Ralph, ergonomic like it all makes sense like even even inside a stadium it, it kind of makes sense you, you, you can eat it with one hand yeah um it, t- it takes probably about i don't know three minutes max Not bad. Yeah. um pies i'm i mean i mean i'm gonna look like a massively naive armchair football fan here but i just you know i can't really understand the enduring appeal of the pie as a football going food it, no. it doesn't feel like very practical to me at all uh, no i mean it's all to do with texture isn't it and mm. to do with the the way they tend to uh, heat the insides 
of those pies to the temperature of molten lava. <laughs> so you have to hold them in your hand for about 10 minutes before you can even start to to get involved with the, the stuff in the middle. So that, I think that's generally the problem. If they were the right temperature, they'd probably be decent. Like a burger, they'd probably be able to eat like that, but your life in your own hands by eating one straight away. <laughs> Anything where you get given a small fork, I'm almost thinking like this. It feels like too much work. It's just not going to, it's never yeah. going to work. It's too much hassle. If I wanted cutlery, I would have, you know, gone to an actual actual restaurant but 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 still pies persist and uh, as Jamie Thompson points out he says I love the idea that so many football fans could tell you the away ground at which they had the best and worst pie to the extent that those clubs then wear it as a badge of honour um, it, it, it does become something of a bragging point for certain sort of lower league clubs and it's always the balty pie as well it's always the balty one that gets like voted the best one in the country uh, there's, why can't anything rival this this is the monopoly that no one ever talks about is the balty pie the famous balty pie of Insert yeah. lower league. Well, I mean, just just to prove this point, Darren Leithley says the best food I've ever had was at Millmore, a chicken balti pie that staved off the cold and frustration of a Leeds defeat live on Sky one Monday in November 2004. You must have been there, Ralph. I don't think I was, but I, can, <laughs> uh, I was probably feeling the same pain. Barney Hunter, this story takes something of a twist. He says the best food by far, and not just because I support them, is Norm's goat curry at Luton Town. Sounds great, which is unfortunate because I'm vegetarian now. <laughs> Can't be that good, Barney. Can't be that good, uh, is all I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, good food, very much part of the, the tapestry of, of match-going fans' experience. But I'm more interested in bad match-day food because I just feel like that's far funnier. Um, Charlie, there, there isn't a season of EFL football that's complete without at least one unimpressed photo of some cheesy chips, which is just <laughs> chips with a slice of American cheese on the top that has not melted. Um, I feel like that... That is absolutely obligatory for an EFL season. Yeah, that's uh, that's good eating. But the thing is, with all of these things, I anything that you can have, like I feel again, that's more a kind of late night kebab, cheesy chips. Whereas I, I just want the purity of that that cheeseburger because I do feel that's that's so exclusive to to football grounds. Mm. Interesting one for you here, Ralph. Tom Woodhead, you may be familiar with this. I don't know. He says, "I present to you Ellen Road's famous meal deal one." Do you know about this? <laughs> no. Okay, let me let me just uh, give you a snapshot of the. Uh, this this is on the stadium concourse in the bowels of Elland Road itself. Uh, does Elland Road have bowels? Yeah, is it a Bowley Stadium. Yeah, yeah, okay. the the the, 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 the magnificent new East Stand, as we still call okay. it, even though it was built in two thousand. Uh, yeah, that's quite Bowley. Here's a non-exhaustive uh, list of the items available: meat and potato pie, three pounds ten; chicken balti pie, three pounds ten; cheese and onion pie, three pounds ten; peppered steak pie, three pounds ten; burger, three pounds seventy; cheeseburger, three pounds ninety. Interesting selection. But if you're feeling a little bit more adventurous, there's meal deal one, which is pint and crisps. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! About fifty. Excellent. Good deal. <laughs> Good deal. Excellent. That's lunch. Yeah. Uh, Tom Woodhead rounds this off by saying, "There is no meal deal too." <laughs> <laughs> Things are about to take a turn for the surreal, however. Johnny Sharples has alerted me to a worrying development in the Northwest Counties Football League where Bursco FC offer you a pea dog. Ralph, this is mushy peas in a hot dog roll. Oh, God. I mean, it's the texture you're after. I mean, it's exactly the same texture. Oh, it's not, though, is it? That. But that's just slop, isn't it? <laughs> it's just going to go out of each end. It's going to go all over your hands. It's, yeah. oh, you get a cup of peas on the side as well, just in case you need to top it up. 
<laughs> Which is no, you need a side of peas. No, you need considerably. I mean, like you can have mushy peas on a on a pie. Yeah, but but not on a hot dog roll. No, that's if good. only our podcast listeners could see the face of Ralph Einstein right now <laughs> as I offered the words pea dog. <laughs> uh, um, never seen someone so disgusted. Um, uh, I might be able to beat that though, Charlie, because Todd Wilde goes all the way back to 2002. And he says, I once saw some Beyondeggy silkworm pupae sold from a vendor outside the World Cup Stadium in Seoul. Needless to say, I passed and had the hot dog on a stick instead. Uh, would you ever, what, what state Oof. of footballing excitement or anticipation, Charlie, would you need to be in for silkworm pupae? Or almost just in a, yeah, well, either exhilaration, either exhilaration where I'm like, fuck it, I'll do it. Or I'm just so despairing. I'm like, well, whatever. I'm at rock bottom. This can't get any worse. I'll do it. This could be meal deal too, Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> silkworm pupae. Chardonnay and silkworm pupae. <laughs> A fantastic start to Meza Holodiscs. Um, yeah, as I said, really life-affirming. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back to Football Clichés. This is Meza Harlan Dix, Ralph Einstein. And uh, he's talked us through his loves of football, mostly food-related. Um, let's let's get stuck into your hates, please, Ralph. First one, anticlimactic corners. The fact that 90% of corners just seem to end up as nothing when there's so much excitement and build-up to them. Uh, you know, it leads with particularly there's the, the chant of comes up whenever we get a corner, which kind of gets the whole ground up. Nothing ever happens. And particularly annoying are short corners, specifically the ones that end up in offside straight away. I just, <laughs> just like, why would you do that? Also ones that don't beat the first man, don't beat the first defender. So I'll just get you know, nodded away at the edge of the six-yard box. There's got to be something about corners or something to be done about corners because they, they never or so rarely fulfill the promise that they have. <laughs> oh, no. Before we get stuck into the corners themselves, which I'm very interested in, um, I want to talk about the, the anticipation um, for a first or second corner. In, uh, you know, if you get two in succession, it's you know off the scale. But Charlie, Ralph is right. I never thought about this before, but there are very specific chants that fans mm. will do at that stage. And... and it's hard to describe them because they don't fit general play. They're too urgent, aren't they? They're too they're too self-contained for like the ball being passed around in midfield. So there are some chances that just sort of lend themselves to okay, we have a set piece. Some teams will even put on the those things around the side or on a big screen with the like ch- corner chant, you know, the equivalent of Leeds 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 because it's so specific. 
it's such a specific thing. Um, I mean, corner, but it, but you touched on something there, Ralph. I think it was in Moneyball where they talk about the fact that in England there's this disproportionate weight is given to corners, despite the fact the numbers show that they are really not that a productive way of scoring. And that one club had to educate the players that... Because, you know, there's that thing where players will often get a big cheer if they kind of shepherd the ball off to win a corner and then sort of rouse the crowd. And it's like, come on, we've won a corner. And actually, one team had to tell their players, like, stop doing that. You're far more likely in most cases like yeah. to score from whipping in a cross if you've got a couple of men in the box than a corner where everyone's set. And the near post thing, that was, I mean, Christian Eriksen at Spurs, that was genuinely like a huge issue between him and the fan base. His... Uh, his habit of hitting the near post and then there were then there were the defenders of him saying no he has to do that because that's where most goals are scored from from corners you don't get it he's doing it for this reason and it became a sort of culture war the uh, christian erickson near post corners but i i I want to i want to kind of offer a counterpoint to this because okay the numbers don't back it up that's established i mean and the eye test you know it just it's enduring frustration about you know general corner scenes but if you took out the corner anticipation. What are you really <laughs> left with as a match-going football fan, Ralph? I mean, that's that's probably what twenty-seven percent of your of your match-day emotion just taken away from you. The anticipation of a corner, maybe like, even a second one. Oh, did you see? It's revelations like these which are just questioning my whole, um, <laughs> yeah, my whole, uh, whole whole being. So it's it's fine to be excited, is what I'm saying. It's fine. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the hope and dreams, after all, condensed yeah, I, into one kick of a ball. Yeah, I suppose I do. I do enjoy the the anticipation, and that's why um, I hate the repeated disappointment <laughs> because I constantly fall for it. I constantly get excited, and like you say, you, then if you get another one, yep. you suddenly become extra extra excited, and in your brain, you're kind of thinking, "Well, obviously, it didn't happen last time, so it makes it even more likely that we're going to score off this one because they can't possibly defend two corners on the trot. That's mathematically impossible. Your excitement <laughs> levels are going up and up and up." For absolutely no reason, you know, for the, keep, more, for the keeper to catch it and just roll it out to the winger. And, and the second corner will never be the same as the first one. They'll never yeah. try the same thing. So <laughs> by yeah. definition, they'll, they'll pick that lock. Okay, so okay, so we've got the anticipation out of the way, Charlie. Um, I feel like we need to establish the official hierarchy of irritating corners. Um, <laughs> what, what's kind of an entry level, you know, uh, that you know should have done better there? Is it... Is well, it is it overhit? Maybe. Yeah, there are a couple. I mean, one is yeah. If you you've got you've piled it in, you've piled the big men into the box, and then it sails over everyone's head, and then the centre backs look at them like, "What have I come up for?" If you're going to do that, mm, you're, you're Ralph Ineson's trotting up. You're, yeah, 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 exactly. Those <laughs> accomplished, really purposeful, like, standing on the edge, like, yeah. ready to go. Yeah. Ralph looking from side to side yeah. in that way. Centre backs do, yeah. as you know. I'm showing leadership here. That's a that's a you know, non-forgivable. Those ones that just sail into the keeper's arms, yeah. that are kind of floated, and you're like, what's anyone going to do with that? Yeah. yeah, the near post one. I mean, obviously, the, the kind of gold standard for particularly bad, there's that Aspas one, isn't there, for Liverpool. Oh, yeah. he, he took a corner so badly. It was when they were chasing that game in the... A counter in the, the Denver bar goal. Exactly, yeah. and then Liverpool uh, broke his goal. And that is like, that is his... Uh, epitaph basically <laughs> that's always remembered for at Liverpool shit is corner, shite corner um, okay. so yeah I mean it can really affect a player's career but let's nail this down Ralph um, a simple question for you um, is overhit corners better than an underhit corner which one is, which one just annoys you less basically I think an overhit one because like, at least he's wellied it is that well, basically what we're saying yeah at least it just 
yeah, there's something in, really irritating about the about the under hit run because nothing has a chance to develop. If you overhit it, you think, well, at least people have got near the business end of it. Maybe <laughs> somebody will, will be able to loop round and pick it up and cross it back in. If it just goes bang straight into the the, the man at the near post, no, that's more irritating, agree. I think. Completely agree. So short corners then. Now, Charlie, I've softened the short corner. Mm. I've softened to it over the years. I've softened to many things over the years, but um, short corners just don't bother me. I get it now. I understand why it happens. Um, you know, it's you know, there's so much so much prep that goes behind it. But the scenario that Ralph put forward, the short corner leading to an immediate offside. Is one of the most that, inexcusable things in football. That is unforgivable. That's yeah. totally unforgivable. And I, I agree with you. I've been on a similar journey from in my younger days, just being a, you know, in my head, I was like blanket bound on short corners. I, I, yeah, I, I can see why sometimes they're used. That said, I do still maintain, and this is a very like me age ten thing, which I probably heard from Andy Gray or someone was, a team has a corner puts it in and causes havoc, and the team's clearly really struggling to deal with it. It's got a goalkeeper who doesn't seem to particularly enjoy coming for crosses and then the next one you take a short one i still find that then i'm still like the 10 year old me is like just put it in he clearly hates it can you imagine ralph's head would explode if that happened (laughs) two short corners in a row but it's yeah yeah i mean to be honest uh thinking about it in light of what you were uh generally talking about about the productivity of, of corners and lack of of a traditional corner then maybe i am doing the short corner down a bit because if, mm. if actually winging it in obviously produces so little why not just try and pass it around the edge and, and beat a man especially if you're a team like I remember the sort of Pep squad uh, Pep's uh, Barcelona would do that would take the short corner and you kind of think well fair enough they're probably mm. more likely to do something with Iniesta one on one with a defender on the edge of the box yeah. than by launching it into a bunch of like five for eight yeah I mean such an extreme example that I literally couldn't imagine that team sort of taking a regular corner and be like what are you doing that's wrong that's not going to work you're going to give it away so uh, yeah maybe we are all all closet possession hoggers after all Um, but yeah this felt like therapy for you Ralph this one yeah I think I've I've, I've made some progress I really do good good. (laughs) glad to hear it tell us about your second hatred or at least minor irritation of football oh yes Uh, and also since I told you this one I've also uh, realised some things about it. So, Go for it. Um, old immobile goalkeepers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I've realised actually that this is probably quite an out of date um, mm. hatred that uh, that I've carried for years and years because of two particular examples. I mean, in the old days, in the old days when I was hard, before they changed the back pass rule mm. stuff, keepers didn't have to be particularly mobile and the fact that they had a huge physical presence and strength and this extra uh, experience was always Mm. kind of prized and this whole Mm. idea of you know keepers you know didn't age like outfield players they could they could play on longer and it was actually encouraged and they became these wise gurus of the penalty (laughs) once they got into their late 30s even though obviously nature dictates that you're going to be able to move your frame around slower and less springily when you get to mm. that. Uh, so the the two incidents I'm referring to, obviously, are Peter Shilton in the yes. semi-final of the 1990 World Cup. <laughs> it's clambering backwards. Uh, yes. It's flailing for this thing. I mean, <laughs> you know, Chris Woods, who sat on the bench, would have walked backwards and caught it to him. Mm. And then the same with um, Seaman in 2002 and Ronaldinho. Mm. That kind of thing is like suddenly to, though there was such big moments 
just to show up that particular annoying uh, superstition we seemed to have at the time. Because at that point, you know, Nigel Martin was was on the bench and should have yeah, played, should yeah. played instead of Seaman for the last few years of Seaman's international career, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> all right, I, yeah. I would say you're leading United fans' opinion, yeah. but he was he was fantastic at that time, Nigel Martin. I think that he should have played longer for England and would have been in goal at that point. And I think again would have walked backwards and caught that two hundred. Uh, so. Yeah, all the mobile goalkeepers is was a pet hate, and I've realised since I told you the other day that it's a very out of date pet hate. No, that's fine. <laughs> but, keepers but, are uh, much younger, and and that is accepted now. The athleticism of keepers, and also the need to be able to be much better athletes and footballers to be able to play the ball when they didn't used to, when they could just pick the ball up from a backpack. Do you find that gratifying? You've been proved right after all these mm. years. Yeah, I think I do, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your relentless lobbying has, has really caused meaningful change. Yes, I think so. I don't mind that this is a kind of a retrospective thing because, I mean, the Shilton thing in particular... It's such a it's it's such a well documented kind of retrospective gripe. Like people genuinely are annoyed looking back that he was anywhere <laughs> near that penalty shootout, for example. I, I mean, we won't go into the Dave Besson super myth either because yeah. uh, this podcast is is not the place. But maybe at the time, I, I I I've never heard from anyone at the time who was annoyed by it. So I feel like you know extra layers of watching athletic twenty something goalkeepers flinging themselves around Charlie makes us look back now and just think. What were we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, and I, and I do think there was something. You're right, Ralph. That keepers, older keepers, were given this sort of protected status, where it was like they may not be able to move someone anymore, but they're so experienced, and you know, you need that as a goalkeeper. So we'll let them keep playing until they're clearly ready <laughs> past their best. I do. I, I'm starting to wonder if there's an element of conspiracy here propagated by the goalkeepers' union, Ralph, because this idea that goalkeepers peak later is, you know, demonstrably true, but also at the same time feels like a myth perpetuated by big goalkeeper just to keep everyone in business. Because, I mean, there are only so many jobs for an ex-goalkeeper. Yeah. So. That's a I mean, they've, got, they've got to get some kind of niche because it's got to be kind of like the shittest job, really, of being a goalkeeper. So, yeah, to, yeah, to, to mystify it somehow, I think, is, is, is important. I mean, you've got Albert Camus, obviously, as you... Patron mm. saint of, of keeping goalkeepers cool, but uh, there's not a lot beyond that. I mean, he famously didn't peak until he was uh, <laughs> um, when was l'étrangère? I don't remember, but um, Charlie, I mean, but they're so put upon goalkeepers in this particular context, you know, age really does go against them because the hurdles they've had to face over the last 30 years or so, as Ralph said, the back pass law, which which kind of eliminated an entire generation of goalkeepers who just couldn't And centre-halves as well. well. Yes. Yeah, suddenly, what, what do you mean? I can't just get out of the situation by knocking it back to my keeper. You mean I've got to play the ball? But... Give it another 25, 30 years and like kids will be looking back going, what? This is insane. <laughs> How could this possibly have been allowed to happen? Yeah. Um, being a goalkeeper looks really easy. So the, the, so the back pass law was the real kind of turning point for all this. And then and then sort of in latter years, Charlie, kind of high lines and, and pressing came in. So goalkeepers had so much more to deal with, have so much space to have, you know, potentially have to operate in, um, which must yeah. have just terrified the, you know, the likes of, say, I don't know, even, say, Peter Cech, for example, who looked suddenly really outdated yeah. despite being an incredibly good goalkeeper. Yeah, we'll check when uh, Unai Emery took over at Arsenal and got them to play out the back, and it was uh, it was like visibly, yeah, it was really uncomfortable um, to watch. But yeah, I did, that's an interesting point about whether keepers now, the fact that they do have to be so much more athletic, they probably actually cover a reasonable amount of ground per game in a way that they never used to. So yeah, the the days 
perhaps of the 40 plus year old keeper uh, maybe on the way I hope not there's something about a 40 year old it's very novelty makes me feel safe Ralph yeah. there is still that element of that experience that makes you think yeah I, uh, yeah, he's gonna be, we're going to be fine he knows what to do as has been proved he's just mm. slower <laughs> and a bit fatter <laughs> generally absolutely <laughs> but of course this did get me thinking like peak age is this kind of sort of truism Charlie, across the board for various positions that people sort of just think they know but can't really back up with data. So I asked our mm. listeners what they thought the peak ages were for the various positions on the pitch. Ooh, um, uh, in fact, Tom Guerriero Davis has nailed this right down. He offers two cr- criteria straight away. He says legs, which consists of pace slash fitness, and head, which consists of experience slash positional sense. So those are the two kind of driving forces here. Goalkeepers, 34 negligible legs required so 34 seems about right if i had a 34 year old goalkeeper now i'd say yeah bang on that seems fine. maybe a bit younger yeah or maybe a little bit younger than that okay i'd, I'd agree I'd, I'd offer at least a couple of years after 32 we're going for 32 like that. that does make you feel safe yeah i think that is the right i mean yeah any self-respecting yeah, 32 year old athlete but... should be fine in the agility mm. stakes mm. Fullbacks. This is where he gets really into the detail. Uh, he says 26 years old. It's 60-40 in terms of legs versus head. Don't know, because, I mean, Ross FJ says right backs seem to last longer than left backs. He thinks left backs 24, <laughs> right backs 27. <laughs> Who are these people? Super random. Ages. Yeah, I think that's changed as well, though, because I think back in the day, you did want your fullbacks to be those sort of veterans who just seem to be very like a safe pair of hands. Whereas now in the age of them actually like running as much as anyone, I think you probably do want a bit younger. Mm. His um, his logic kind of starts to unravel as he goes through the team. Um, defensive midfield, 30. Legs useful. Head is vital. Um, wingers, 24. Optimum legs required. And then striker, 29. Just feels right. <laughs> <laughs> You can't go through with all your special metrics. Absolutely no stamina whatsoever. No. More alarmingly, Will Tucker thinks goalkeepers peak at the age of 28, Ralph. Ooh. Well, you see, it depends. You know, if, you, if you're looking at this all action, high press, working as a sweeper, doing all this kind of stuff, maybe, maybe it's the, the, the same. And Leeds have a very young keeper, don't they? He's fantastic. I know, yeah. The youngest Premier League goalkeeper, youngest looking Premier League goalkeeper I've ever seen. Have you ever heard him speak? No. Has he got a voice like yours? (laughs) Honestly, yeah. He's as deep as me. Genuinely. Really? (laughs) He is fine. He talks like this. My name is Ian Millie. I don't want want to hear it. Genuinely. Shatter the illusion. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Because obviously he looks like a 15-year-old boy. Yeah, he does. But yeah, he, he sounds like me. Wow. Wow, interesting. I'll, mm. I'll investigate. Um, Fantastic keeper. Josh Dickens, Charlie, muddies the waters completely here, undermining everything we've spoken about. He says, is any player ever at peak age? Peak is always approaching two or three years down the line or arguably in the past or not quite at the level when he was at his peak. It's always declared that's, in the future or in the past. I mean, every, a player is never at his peak. That's a really good point, actually, yeah, when you talk about, you know, and he'll be a you know, he's he'll be approaching his peak in two to three years when you talk yeah. about, like, contract negotiations and things like that. But, you know, from a linguistic perspective, there are some caveats here. Ralph, I, I sort of agree with this. I, I wouldn't accept someone declaring a player being at his peak, but I would accept someone saying a player is at the peak of his powers. Oh, peak of your powers, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you at the peak of your powers? I mean, you have about 58 films coming out in 2021 <laughs> slash 2022. <laughs> 
I'm busy. But I don't really think about power. Hopefully, you see, this is the thing. It's all about how different you're a character actor. You don't, you don't have to have legs for the. For the, <laughs> it's, match, the for the match. it's all up there. It's, like, it's not like I've got, I've got looks to lose. So I'm, I'm hoping my my character, my career is going to just carry on rundling along like some goalkeeper who's like, like a teddy sharing it your first few yards are up there yeah yeah absolutely looking forward to you winning finally winning the oscar for your portrayal of a re- recently retired former center half who's fallen on hard times because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sticking with it if if, if someone doesn't direct it i will so yeah. it's going to happen um but you know, staying down this track so peak of his powers is fine but charlie is that the, does it mean the same thing as in his pomp Peak of powers, pomp, same things. Uh, I don't know. I feels like there is a subtle difference. Why? Well, in his pomp, it, you can't. Say I feel like you'd always say that retrospectively. Yeah, exactly. Whereas peak, you, uh, whereas peak of your powers, you can say like, and we're talking about a player who's at the peak of his powers. Oh, oh no, you're, that's fine. So Ralph, you can't have a current pomp. You can't. I don't think pomp. you can say he's in his pomp. You can say mm, when he was weird. in his pomp. Um, but I don't um, think you, you can currently be in your pomp. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, what follows is the, I think Charlie, my favourite bullet point I've ever written on the football cliches running order, which is: Can a goalkeeper have a pomp? <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever. Literally, I I reckon I would. Of all the things we've ever spoken about on this podcast, I reckon no one on this planet, dead or alive, has ever asked this question: <laughs> Can a goalkeeper have a pomp? When he was in his pomp. I think you've got to entertain, haven't you? you, you know, it's, yeah. even, it's even hard for for a journeyman a, footballer, a, a fairly boring footballer, to, to be in that pomp. I think I think they've they've got to be an entertainer of some kind, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. Let's find out the dictionary definition of pomp. Makes it hard for a goalkeeper to, to be in that pomp. I'm just trying to think who's the most like pomp Premier League player. I mean, like Eric Cantona, I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, when he but, was in his pomp. Yeah. Pomp literally means ceremony. Literally, and yeah. splendid display, vain and ostentatious. So oh, this is, it is pure Cantona, is, isn't it? Can, yeah, <laughs> very Cantona. Uh, Cantona is officially the pompiest footballer in Premier League history, but no goalkeepers allowed in Pompland. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We've been building up to this one. Uh, um, it, it's all it's all been vaguely proper football man so far. Do you know what, Ralph? I, I think very traditional footballing values here. Mm. And uh, I, I'm really interested in your third hatred of football. This is where you're really going to let loose, I sense. My my third hatred is biased co-commentators. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just don't really understand the, the logic uh, behind... I also it irritates me as well. Ex players uh, maintaining this ludicrous kind of rivalries to kind of you know 
appeal to the fans of the of the clubs they used to play for or whatever to constantly be doing down other other teams because that that club dislikes that club. And I just think it's really boring element to the cold commentary cold commentators game. Come on, name names. Uh, my, Tell us what you My particular hatred. Who's upset you this time? <laughs> <laughs> Who hurt me this time? Well, uh, it's all right now. Um, I've got to have it. But for about three years, the last three years, we were the Leeds were in the uh, in the championship. The Sky's coverage of the EFL with the cold commentators hmm. uh, that they had meant that I don't think I watched the game with commentary for about three years. I just, oh my God, oh, it was oh, that oh, deep? I just, just put music on. And just were watched players, you know, anything on. Uh, and the biggest defenders were Don Goodman and Keith Andrews. They <laughs> just had such a whiny, pathetic anti leads goal all the time. I just used to have to turn it on. Yeah. So uh, that's that that kind of overly connected to to clubs that they weren't even great players right. for anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Okay, <laughs> I mean, so many angles to approach this from. But first of all, let, let's face it, this is a very Leeds thing, isn't it? Leeds are kind of disproportionately hated or feel look like they are hated um, by so many clubs, you know, nearby or otherwise. Um, this feels like a particularly Leeds obsession, I would say. Yeah, I think you're probably right because a, a big a big part of your existence of being a Leeds fan is dealing with the fact that, you know, it's not normal. You can turn around and people say, oh, you just put, so, oh, no, West Ham, oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. Trying to rook it, whatever. A lot of candidates are like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk like that. But, you know, when you say you're a Leeds fan, it just get, it gets a reaction every time, everybody, whoever they support. Instinctive, almost yeah, it's, illogical. Yeah, uh, which, you know, makes, makes the club box office in the sense that people will always watch Leeds on telly because they'll want whoever they're playing to win. You know, that that kind of thing. It's a bit like you know the Man United thing as well. Is that that kind of uh, that kind of hatred? So yeah, the the constant hitting on on it is you get all the time, and it just gets very annoying when it gets into the realm of the commentators. It's like I don't want to hear that. I get it from other fans all the time. I live in London in the Chelsea area. I just yeah. get abuse of being a Leeds fan all the time. I've done <laughs> for the last thirty years of living it. I don't need it when I turn the TV on and listen to the commentary. I don't need. Don You've been surrounded by Don Goodman's as you yeah. walk down the King's Road or something like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, before we get really, I, I want to before we get stuck into the real kind of psychology of this. Mm. Um, one thing I have noticed. I don't know if this will change your mind straight away. I suspect it might not. Did, do you know what Don Goodman's middle name is? It's Ralph. Ooh. Don Goodman's middle name is Ralph. Look, see, everything's fine. You both basically Ralphs. He might even have a dog called I don't know Ian Hart or something. <laughs> Oh, is that really supposed to change my mind? <laughs> I think I'm secretly a Southampton fan as well. <laughs> oh dear. Um, okay, well, okay. Well, let's let's talk about this because uh, um, I'm not saying I'm above it by any any stretch of the imagination. Charlie, we've all been afflicted by this. Imagine on on some level or other. But I'm fascinated by the concept of of bias, especially when it comes to co-commentators on on TV and why it affects the enjoyment and the engagement of a person watching. What is it about? Because, I mean, it's just words being spoken by someone. It's not going to affect the game itself, although it feels like it does. I think what what, what I find most irritating is not even um, when it seems like a commentator dislikes my team. It's when it seems like a commentator has is spouting stuff about my team that was a cliche five to ten years ago and clearly has done so little watching of my team or research that they're happy to just chuck out these tropes that are just are no longer really accurate. I find that 
more irritating and that's where you get the lazy commentary lazy punditry sort of thing and i know people think that's a bit righteous and whatever but it is really really annoying um and so if you've got a commentator and i don't know what don goodman's particular offense was but if he's saying you know th- just lazy stuff that's uh and that, that was kind that, of my, my thing it's, it's exactly that it's referring back to those uh things like the 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 burnout the bielsa burnout yeah I was yeah mention. exactly so that really isn't true <laughs> Uh, but you know they'd be tro- tro- troping that out. You know every time when they, you know they, we kind of had a quiet twenty minutes in the second half. Oh my god, they're burning out again. It would be more subtle than that, though. It'd be, it'd be yeah. even more subtle than that. They look tired, Leeds. Yeah, tired for me. Looking a bit leggy. leggy. You know, and we've we've seen this before. There. Is 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 that is that an issue for them? We know it's affecting yes. the Elsa teams. No, I mean I can, I can feel the kind of by proxy. I can feel the yeah. frustration here, but it does eat away at you. I, I felt it too. Don't worry. You know, I've I've had Tony Gale commentate on an illegal stream of my team before. <laughs> I know I know what it feels like, but. It comes at such a bad time, doesn't it, Ralph? Because you're already paranoid and, and tormented by the game in front of you. Yeah. As any self-respecting football fan should be, you're never confident of what's going to happen. No. So when someone is basically employed to, deliberately or otherwise, cast doubt over your team's chances at that time or in the bigger picture, yeah. it's going to eat away at you. Yeah, it is. It's just like someone stabbing you in the back with a little sharp <laughs> stick as you're watching the game. It's like, fuck oh, oh, off. Oh. Really? Which is stupid, ill-informed comments. They don't mean anything. And just because Leeds let you go, Tom Goodman, (laughs) just don't bring it back. The thing as well is you start then looking out, you're waiting for it. And the anticipation's yeah. almost as bad. Yeah. You're like, oh, God, it's coming, isn't yeah. it? It's coming. It's going to be I'll ask him another please. question. Oh, you've no. asked him it. There we go. Yeah, what? yeah, 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 exactly. Please, please, no. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there are so many angles here. It afflicts pretty much everyone. I can see why it would afflict a Leeds fan more, given the historical and current kind of sort of rumblings that people will always kind of pick up on, yeah. especially if they're being particularly lazy. Yeah. Um, Doing the Leeds. Yeah, well, yeah, all of that, that stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the style of co-commentary, Charlie, in the last five That's... years or so, it's it's kind of, we've moved on from kind of the emphatic Scotsman who just enjoyed great goals and bold attacking play and, and heavy tackles and stuff and, and enjoyed the spectacle for what it was. And for better or worse, we now have quite earnest co-commentators who who kind of want to show that they're in touch with the modern game and how things work. And, and it kind of lends itself more to casting doubt over your team's performance. So it's mm. only going to go it's only going to go one way, isn't it? People are going to get more and more annoyed. True, although touching on Tony Gale is significant there because I do find if I do ever have to watch on a stream and so you get maybe not your elite no. <laughs> commentators, you are reminded a little bit of the kind of how commentary was a few years ago and I do think it was worse then because yeah, you don't have the same earnestness, but you do have the same I'm going to say something that's fairly vague and was once relevant about this team and in the in the hope that it's still correct close enough rather than now I feel you know the standards have been raised I think strange for a Leeds fan to say it but I think Gary Neville has got a lot to can take a lot of credit for that I mm. came into to punditry uh, I think he made a lot a lot of them up their game because he suddenly started talking uh, in simple terms about exactly how formulation uh, how uh, formations worked. And, you know, in layman's terms, he explained the stuff that, you know, uh, cold commentators in the past would just 
you know, wouldn't even bother trying to to explain. And I think that he he changed it. And the, so the the co-commentator's job is to now seems to be when it when it's done well. And I don't think Sky's EFL coverage was done well, but when it is done well nowadays, I think it, the uh, the commentator commentates and the co-commentator gives a professional insight a professional footballers mm. playing someone who has played professional football and has been coached in these formations these systems and so then can put that into layman's terms i think that's now the job of the co-commentator whereas before like you say it was it used to be just to get excited about goals and uh and throw in a bit of old club rivalry every now and then <laughs> okay so let's let's recap what we've covered here because i feel like we've peered into your footballing soul and so much has poured out as a result the the joy and cruelty of nutmegs great fun touching the match ball which i think we've all enjoyed to various degrees and a great shout out to the giant axe stadium something i'd never heard of before the the plasticine textured burger van cheeseburgers pre-match importantly not post-match the anticlimactic nature of 99 percent of corners the myth perpetuated by the goalkeepers union that uh, old goalkeepers are still of any use whatsoever and finally Don Goodman. <laughs> Don Ralph Goodman. Oh, I'm going to walk in there and interview some fucking um, VIP lounge at Ellen Road after a game when he's been commentating or something. Some after dinner event. Yeah. Another Legends game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go straight through you. He's going to do a Roy Keane outfit. Don't, over me, don't stand over me. He's talking yeah. about biased co commentary. <laughs> Good luck with your 58 films next year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. My goodness. Um, I saw the ball there, I think. <laughs> I saw the BAFTA there, I think. It's like that, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, um, yeah, despite the huge proper football man vibes, which I actually thoroughly enjoyed. No, I, I feel like it was, it was a well-rounded selection. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you so much for joining us. I really Thank appreciate you. your time. It was fun. Yeah, cheers. Um, Charlie. Thanks very much again. Thank you. That was great fun. And a uh, huge revelation to come on the next episode of Clichés. Hope you can make it. And uh, see everyone next week. Bye. The Athletic. <laughs>